Uh, we are in Philippians chapter 2 now. We have finished chapter 1. We're looking at verses, beginning to look at verses 1 through 4. This will be part 1. If you don't have a Bible, there is a blue Bible, most likely, underneath a seat around you. In that blue Bible, you can turn to page 980. That will bring you right where you need to be to follow along in God's Word with me. Let me give you some review, all right? Just keep the flow going. Keep us So we're picking up, not forgetting what we've learned. And then adding to our knowledge that this letter provides. In chapter 1, verse 27 of this letter, Paul urges his readers, who are his, who are his readers? The Philippians, yes, specifically the, the church. So the Christians at Philippi, the church gathered there at Philippi. He urges them... In Philippians 1.27, read it. Read it out loud. No, don't keep reading. You're one of those students who never follow instructions well. But I appreciate your enthusiasm because there's more to this. But this is what I wanted you to read, and you did it, and thank you. Let your manner of life be worthy of of the gospel of Christ. That's, let is, it's an imperative command. It's not like, hey, you know, I mean, if you, if you think this is a good idea, it, the verb is in the imperative. It's a command. It's authoritative. Let your manner of life, and it's written to the church in Philippi, but it's written to Christians, written specifically to a local church, but we can, we can apply this one right to us because we too are Christians and a local church here in North Fontana. Let you collectively, church, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. I, I talked about this last time, but I think I might just keep coming back to it because it drives everything else that follows after that. It kind of comes under that umbrella. Worthy. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Worthy. Worthy, the word means, you probably know, but the, the word means the right or proper or appropriate response. Well, in this case, to what? The right or proper or appropriate response to what? To the great treasure, the amazing privilege, the incredible salvation that we have been given in the gospel we believe, if you do believe it. It's a right response. It's the proper response. It's the appropriate response to the gospel, to Christ, to all that the gospel is and means. I was thinking about this. I was, I was thinking that this is why it's so important to have a, a, a full gospel, not, not a minim, minimal gospel gospel or minimal information about the gospel because if if what Paul has called us to and he has is a right response to this gospel and we don't know the gospel in full then how do we respond appropriately what are you talking about well as an example as an example 
if the gospel for you is very minimal as far as how you understand it, meaning, for instance, that the gospel is, is as far as you know, just about Jesus coming and, and saving you from hell by paying for your sins. Well, if that's it, and let me say that is part of the gospel for sure, but if that is it, then what's the response to that? Well, I guess gratitude, thankfulness, but maybe not, maybe not necessarily a change of direction, a changed life, a complete reorientation. Maybe you could go on making life about you. I mean, Jesus has got you covered on the inside of your life, but... Here and now, huh, right? Because that's all the gospel is to you. But that is not all the gospel is. Which, is. which is why it's so important that we continue to study the word and read, which there we find it, the gospel, just pouring out of it. Read and meditate on it and, and work hard to really get it, to really get it. If we are to have the right or proper response. So if the gospel not only includes you being saved, you who have believed and are trusting in the Savior, you being saved from the penalty of sin, and it does, but also the power of sin in your life, and for a reason, so that your life may now be lived unto the glory of God and for His purposes. Well then, a proper response would look very different. An appropriate or right response to that gospel would be you bringing your life under Him and trusting by faith that He has broken the power of sin in your life so that you might no longer be enslaved to it, enslaved to yourself, and your selfishness, but rather living for and unto him in his righteousness. And that's just one other component of the gospel. And, when, if, if I, and I don't have time this morning, because I never have enough time. But if, if we started just continually stepping down the road of the gospel and begin to talk about the promises that he has made to us, what our future beholds for us, and then in light of that, considering the implications then of how we should rightly respond to that. Where's this all going? What's his grand purpose? Well, then there's all kinds of other things that would require you to do in order to properly respond to that gospel, to live worthy of the gospel of Christ. So, study, beloved. Don't be satisfied with a very limited understanding of the gospel of Christ. You want to know why I'm crazy? <laughs> Who knows her? <laughs> and I mean crazy in a good way, crazy for Christ. Even though I'm still messed up. I'm crazy for Christ. It's the, God, the gospel has done that to me. 
The gospel has done that to me. And I am not worse for it. I am the better for it. And so I desire these things for you, and not just for you, but for the glory of the one I am crazy about, and that I hope you are too, but get crazier for him. And the way that happens is by diving deep and headlong into the gospel and the truth therein, that you might live worthy of it. So it's having a full gospel. I would also say it's having an accurate gospel. These very important, very important. So why, why, do, we, why do we constantly like, hey, making distinctions? Why do I, or someone who's, or Thomas, or whoever, or, or the elders, why do we call out false teaching or false gospels? Well, my goodness, beloved, if we are called to let our manner of life be worthy of the gospel, and we have the wrong gospel, we will be living the wrong life. As an example, the prosperity gospel. This is what the prosperity got, and it's just, it's everywhere. Prosperity gospel, according to that gospel, which basically says, if you're really living the victorious, whatever, life, then you will be wealthy, and of course, because you somehow have power over disease, of course, they all die, but since you have power over disease, so that doesn't make any sense, but they keep saying it, since you have power over disease and sickness, they say, in the gospel, you will be healthy. So, in order to live worthy of the gospel of Christ, which that is not the gospel of Christ, that is a false gospel, then you have to give yourself to pursuing wealth and health. What a wasted life. What a wasted life. And that life will take you for sure down the wrong road. I just say the gospel life and that life, they don't run side by side. They run in different directions. You see? So you've got to have the right gospel. Hey, where do I find that? From, the, from some guy who's really flashy and good with his words and has a huge crowd on TV. Is that where I find it? Where do you find the accurate gospel? Where do you find it, beloved? Yeah, it's here. It's right. You know, God has not left us with like, hey, go figure it out, boys. You just, you know, you're on your own. Go find it. No, it's, it's right here, all right? Which is why we keep emphasizing the importance of this in your life. You need, so anything you're off in in the gospel, you need to be, you need to, that needs to change. It needs to be accurate. You need to have a right understanding of the gospel, and you need to have a full gospel so that you actually might fulfill the command that Paul has given, that you might live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. So, Paul, so that was just a side note. So Paul, in the verses that follow, 127, where he says, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. He goes on to describe then what the worthy life or a life worthy of the true gospel of Christ entails, which as I've said before, it really includes then all that Paul says through chapter 2, verse 18, where there's a break and then he begins another subject. And what we learned about the worthy life from the last section we looked at in verses 27 through 30 of chapter 1 is it includes being a church 
which is made up of individual members. A church or a local body of believers, it includes being a church or a local body of believers that is not divided or distracted or at each other's throats, but rather earnestly alongside each other as one team for what matters most. That is the continual progress of the gospel of Christ in our own lives and in the lives, hopefully, of others around us who do not yet know Christ. What matters most is the advancement of Jesus Christ. Not the advancement of any one of us, but the advancement of Him who is the head and the Lord of the church. And even, as we saw, when the church faces opposition or comes under attack, the worthy life includes being resolute and unyielding in making known both by gospel words and gospel deeds the saving and transforming truth this fallen world so desperately needs to hear and see and embrace, which is, beloved, the very truth that by God's grace we who are His have seen, heard, and embraced. That is the amazing truth concerning the one who is all-powerful and altogether wise and perfectly good and loving and the only true rescue and fix for sinful humanity. And who is that? (laughs) Well, that is the sinless God-man. That is the crucified, resurrected, glorified, ascended, and any time now, coming back again, one, Jesus Christ. That's who it is. That's what the gospel is. It is the story of him. And why would Paul take the time to instruct the church in Philippi about these things? Well, two reasons. This is all review. Two reasons. First, they were a church under attack by those who opposed the gospel that the church was faithfully, it's a good church, faithfully making known by word and deed. They wouldn't have been attacked if it were not for their gospel witness. It was because of that. And second, so they're under attack, and second, they were also a church, so they have pressure from the outside, but they were also a church that was experiencing some internal troubles or tensions that were harmful to their gospel unity, to their strong bond, to their oneness in purpose, thought, and action. And if left unchecked, these tensions, these troubles, they would diminish or possibly even ruin their ability to continue to be a bold gospel witness to their city. 
for that matter, it would also limit their ability to be an accurate gospel witness. If they're at each other's throats, that's not an accurate display of the gospel. And this, beloved, was of the utmost concern for the Apostle Paul. That they would continue and maybe excel even more in advancing the gospel, advancing him, Jesus. And so this is why he wrote what he wrote. Question. Is that of the utmost concern to you as well? The advance of the gospel, the progress, the fame, the making much of him, both by transformed lives, gospel deeds, and transformed speech, gospel words that proclaim him. If it is not of the utmost concern to you as well, why not? Why not? Why not? You need to ask yourself that question. Why not? I could understand it for someone who does not know Christ truly. Maybe knows about them, but does not know him and does not have the Spirit of God indwelling them. But for the Christian, why not if the answer is no or I'm not sure? It could be you are distracted by things you should not be distracted by. It could be you have sin in your life that is dragging you down and away from the one you should be running to and confessing to and finding forgiveness in and cleansing in and then again being reminded of the power that the gospel is, the love that the gospel is, and by that being motivated to serve him, to live for him. To make it about him. I don't know. But that's the question. Is it of the utmost importance to you? And if it is church, if it is church, then anything that may get in the way of the advance of Christ, then you would want to be ridding that out of your life. Certainly not contributing to it. And helping your brothers and sisters to rid those things out of their life that would diminish it or draw us away from that if that is the most important thing for us as the body of Christ. And it should be. And that's what I'll just keep saying. I'll just keep saying it. Not because I don't think you're getting it, but because I need to keep hearing it. I need to hear myself say it. And I suspect you need to hear me say it too, more than once. The church is always under attack in one way or another. The enemy is always looking to make the church about anything but Christ and advancing him and making much of him. He doesn't mind if we get together and hang out. But if we start hanging out and speaking gospel truths into each other's lives and talking about holiness... And being a better witness for Christ, oh, he has a problem with that because he hates Christ. You see? 
what are we doing, folks? What are we doing? We got we to gotta constantly keep coming back to what and asking that question. Why are we here? Why are we gathered? What is the ultimate purpose? And if it's not Christ and then doing everything I can do by the power of the Spirit and according to the Word to make more of Christ, then you, you have the wrong purpose. Does that make sense? If it doesn't, I'll keep saying it. And maybe it will make sense at some point. That's what I pray for. But Paul is not done because it's such an important issue and especially in, under these circumstances for this church. He is not done with the, the topic of gospel unity. He's not done. He addressed it there in 27 through 30. He called them to unity, especially in the face of opposition. I mean, how are they going to stand up if they're divided? If they're going different directions, they need each other. They need, to, they need to be there for each other. You know, I got your back, that kind of thing. They need to have each other's backs. They need to be striving alongside one another, fighting the good fight together and fighting the same fight and not fighting one another. <laughs> All this energy we pour into stupid things. And I don't know about you, but I only have so much energy. That's why I don't fight with Allie anymore. <laughs> I just got tired. I'm like, I only have so much energy, babe. I don't got enough for this right now. No, I'm kidding. That's not why. But you get what I'm saying. You only have so much energy, guys. We're limited. We're finite people. We're not infinite. And so this, the, one of the strategies of the enemy is just to get you so empty and so many, get you going in so many different directions, you got nothing left for the gospel. You, you got you to gotta not let that happen. I got to not let that happen. We collectively have to not let that happen. So anyway, but he brings it up again, and here we go. This dumb clock. I, you know, I cannot wait. I am looking forward so much, Thomas, to eternity. Because there's no clocks there, brother. There's no dumb clocks. I'm pretty sure there's no childcare either which is why we need a clock. Yes? Hey, thank you, child care workers. I know there, some of you are in here. Uh, you guys are awesome. I'm sorry I go too long. Almost always. I'm sorry, but you guys are awesome. And thank you for your services to this body. Just uh, to plug that ministry, we need more help. And maybe it's because of me. And I realized that. I don't know. But anyway, let's, verses 1 through 4. So here we are. Verses 1 through 4 of chapter 2 are, they are, listen, so here's some technical stuff, but you, it's important for you to understand it. It's one unit. It's one, it's one long sentence in the Greek. It's just one long sentence. So we know everything, it goes together. Some might be tempted to stop at verse 2 and then treat verses 3 and 4 as a separate piece. It's all one long sentence in the Greek. They're, it's all connected, which you'll see, but I just wanted to tell you that that's what underlies. Your, I know you have different sentences, but they just break that up for readability in the English. Uh, but it's one long sentence, and Paul is, is here making an appeal in this section, again, 
but he does it a little bit differently for unity and harmony in the church at Philippi. And, and in this case, in connection with that unity, he calls on them now to specifically rid themselves of things, things that I think are present, otherwise why bring them up uh, in the church, things that he's heard about, to rid themselves of things that would prevent or disrupt unity in the church, and specifically there in Philippi, and instead to exercise or walk in humility. Oh, there's that word, humility with each other. Because, beloved, without humility, preserving their unity will not be possible. A proud, self-seeking, arrogant body will not be unified. For that matter, a proud, seeking, arrogant couple will find it very difficult to be unified in anything. It's a family. Just take it to the family. If humility doesn't, if humility is not being pursued, because I've not, it's not like you just, you know, and we're going to talk more, and we won't talk this time about humility, but I just feel like I need to say, if humility's, it's not like you, you, you go and you get humility, you know, and then you, you add it to you, and then now you're humble, you know? No, you have to pursue it, because what you do have, what you do carry around, is sinful pride, which always works against that very thing you're supposed to be walking in, humility. We'll talk more about that, hopefully, next time. But here he calls them to humility as well, because without it, they will not be able to maintain the unity that they have in Christ via the Spirit of God. All right. And if their unity is broken up or diminished, then guess what? The gospel of Christ will suffer as a result. And as I said before, that is of utmost concern to the Apostle Paul. It's, not, it's just not like, hey, we're all together. It's not that. It's gospel unity. They're united around a common cause, that cause being Christ. They're serving one another, not just so that they can say, I serve one another. They're serving one another to a perp- for a purpose. They're fighting a fight together with a real direction and an outcome that they look to achieve. Right? It's not just, oh, we're united. No, united in Christ, united in the gospel. One purpose, one body, striving together, and that will be very hard to keep moving forward without humility. I would say just impossible. You must walk in humility with one another. And of course, humility is, is going to be something that is, an, is, going to be an, is something we see in Christ, and he's, going to, and he's the ultimate, and that's what follows next. So he just takes you, and here, here is the greatest example of humility that I can give you ever, Christ. And that's the section that follows next. And we are called to be what? Like Christ, being more and more conformed into the image of Christ. But again, it's something we have to give ourselves to, fighting our sin and fighting for that for the great cause of Christ. And again, not just so again, not just so we can say, "Look, I'm humble." But humility is serving a purpose. It's it's making the body of Christ, helping the body of Christ to be that unified group, to be cohesive, to stick together 
for the great cause of Christ. You see? So all of it, always going back to that. Christ. Him. All about Him. At least it's supposed to be. Okay? So we're going to focus on verse 1 today. And in verse 1, before he gets to the only, listen, before he gets to the only imperative verb or command in this long sentence, there's only one. There's only one command, imperative verb in this sentence, and that's found in verse 2, where he says, complete my joy, or as the New American Standard Bible puts it, make my joy complete. It's a command. How? How does he say, and we'll get to this, but how are they, the church in Philippi, how are they to fulfill this command? Well, by being of the same mind, etc. And then he begins to speak to the issue specifically of this is how you are to be unified, united, one. But before he gets to that, he first in verse 1 lays out four expressions. And I will not complete them. I, that was the goal and the intent to complete the four expressions. We're not going to do it. But it's okay. And then we'll just pick back up where we left off, all right? I have to stop abusing the child care workers. I have to. So, being of the same mind, in verse 1, he lays out four expressions. And based on my understanding of them in verse 1, you can see them there in your text. These expressions are true of every genuine Christian. They're true of every genuine Christian and function in this sentence as the grounds of Paul's appeal for unity and harmony in the church there in Philippi that follow verse 1. Or you could say it this way. You could say it this way. Verse 1 contains the presuppositions for the command that follows in verse 2. It is because of these things that I say to you, complete my joy. And then he goes on to explain how that is to be done. Paul's approach to, to this church is interesting. You can see here, He's not screaming. I said that for emphasis, complete my joy. But it's actually, all of the language is very gentle. Um, it's, a, it's a, if you will, a, a, a soft approach. As one writer puts it, there is no severity of censure, no, no severe disapproval in this section concerning the church. You don't see that. And, he's, and the writer says, this suggests that the divisions there or the dissensions in the body that Paul is looking to address had not yet reached an acute state. It's not yet out of control. But then the author says, the commentator says, yet the frequency and urgency, you sense that, you feel that, of the apostle, of the apostle's appeals, as we see it here in the words, he's coming right back at it again here in chapter 2, the issue of unity, and he's, he's you know, complete my joy. They, that implies that the danger of disruption in that body, a disruption to their unity, was very real. You with me? So he's, it's not out of control yet, but the seeds, as I've said before, there's some, you know, tremors. There's tremors. The earthquake hasn't split the church apart yet. That big one hasn't come. There's tremors. And, and Paul needs to address that and, and, and get that out, settled down so that they can maintain, preserve their unity and keep fighting the fight that they've been fighting as gospel partners with Paul. Let's read the section. And then I'll do my best uh, 
to begin to explain some of these expressions. I won't, I, we won't get through all of them, and we will stop when we're supposed to. So, verse 1, and I'll read through verse 4, because remember, it's one long sentence in the Greek. Uh, so, so, after what he just said, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, there they are, all the presuppositions, the groundwork for what he is about now to command them to do. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind or one purpose is another translation. Verse 3, and the word do is not there. It just continues. So it's really just nothing from selfish ambition, but they add the word do, again, just for the English language and for us to be able to read it. It's not a new do this, but it's included in what he has just said. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And again, beloved, Again, this is a verse, and again, I'll, I'm sure I'll repeat myself. I do that on purpose, not because I'm senile. Not totally, anyway. This, like, a verse like this, you know, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. It's, a, it's one of those verses, again, that is, is taken out, and then we just think about that, and it's, it's, there's probably some benefit certainly in that, but just remember, it's in the context of the unity of the church for the purposes of advancing Christ. Don't forget that. And so I, I don't think it should be taken out of its context. There are, there are principles we can draw from this and apply to other situations, but we first need to see where was this written and what's going on that he said this and what's it connected to, and this is one long sentence in the Greek. And the reason we are supposed to exercise humility is so that we might protect the unity of the body of Christ so that we might continue as best we can to advance the name of Christ by gospel word and gospel deed, fighting with each other, not you know, against each other, but striving with each other to advance him, helping each other, encouraging one another to look more like Christ so that the lost world can see it. And to speak more about Christ so the lost world can hear about the only Savior. You with me? Yeah. I'm only going to cover the first two words, so I'm not even going to get to the uh, expressions. Okay? But you have to come back, right? You have to come back. It'll be fitting for us to talk about that and then get together on Sunday as a body and hopefully be united in one purpose, <laughs> in thought, in action. But the word so, you see it there at the beginning of verse 1? Maybe your translation has therefore. Anybody have therefore? Okay. It's the same idea. It's therefore in the NASB. It's actually, check this out, it's untranslated in the NIV 84. Untranslated, meaning it's not there. In, in verse and so that's not, okay, so again, I do this to help you understand that not all translations are equally the same. They are not. You know, I think I've heard this before, like, hey, you know, did you get a, you know, someone will tell me they got a Bible. I'm like, oh, okay, and then what translation? Oh, no, I, just, I don't know. I just, what do you, you need to, these are things that are important. These are things that are important, that's all. 
Um, the translations are not all equally as good. Now, I like the NIV 84, but again, as I told you, I compare, you know, six or seven different translations that I think are... Um, okay. Translations tend to, like... Um, they do one or two things, like the ESV, the NASB, they, want it, they try to stick to whatever's there, and they try to translate it as best they can. Whatever's under the underlying Greek text, they try to give it to you. Sometimes in giving it to you, it's going to be more hard to figure out, but at least you have what it is, and then you've got to try to figure it out. It's not as readable, maybe, and, or maybe confusing at first, at first read. Other translations, and the NIV 84 uh, moves towards this direction, and then you have other translations that really move towards this direction where they say, hey, whatever's in the underlying text, we don't feel like we have to bring it all into the English language. We instead are going to try to figure out what they're saying and, and make it more readable, and we're going to make more translation interpretive decisions, more interpretive decisions than the other guys make, maybe, um, and for the sake of reading or whatever, and then we're just going to give you that. So you really don't see everything that you probably should see, or I would say you should see, that in, under the, in the Greek text that's there, or the Hebrew, okay? So as an example, the NIV 84 just doesn't translate so or therefore, and you say, what do you, what's that matter? It matters. It matters because the so or therefore connects you back to know that this section is connected back to something Paul just said. And, and again, it's not huge. It's not huge because if you're reading in the NIV 84, you'll see, oh, he's talking about unity again. But know that he's continuing. He, and really, I would say the reason it's important too is because that worthy life He's really still talking about that worthy life and, and under that worthy life, bringing up the unity. And so it's just one flowing thing. So, therefore, and he's saying, listen, what I've just said, regarding what I've just said, and I was just speaking to you about unity, I'm picking it back up again. What I, what I just said to you concerning living the worthy life, worthy of the gospel of Christ, so, and now he's going to address it. All right, so that's, that's a little side note on that. Now, what about the word if? And we'll end with this. The word if. So if, or therefore, if, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, what do you think when you hear the word if? Do you think, does he wonder? Like, is he asking? Like, if there's any, I mean, I don't know if there is. Okay, and that's, that's reasonable to think that, but know this, and I brought this up before in Romans, in other places that we see it. If, translated if there, it's a marker of condition. It's a marker of condition, meaning if this, then that. And the condition can be real, actual, or it can be hypothetical. In this case, it is real. It is actual. In other words, since this, then this. Okay? Just so you know that. So what he's talking about are things that are true of the body of Christ. Not just the church in Philippi, certainly the church of Philippi, because they also have the Spirit of God and have been born again and regenerated, but any body of Christ, any church, these things are true of them. And it's a way, rhetorically, to draw your attention to it. You know? So it, it, we see this, uh, I'll show it to you, Romans 6, 5, just so you see I'm not making this up. Romans 6, 5, marker of condition. Here Paul says to the church, for if, marker of condition, we have been united with him in a death like his, I mean, I don't know if we have, no, since we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this, like his. He's speaking to Christians. And again, it's just a way to say this objective truth right here, 
Since this is the case, then this must be the case. You with me? And then that's it. And you're like, wow, that's as far as we got. And it is. And it is. And we'll come back to the four expressions. And I'm going to tell you the four expressions I found to be a little bit difficult to try to work through. Actually, rather difficult. But um, I think I've, I've done a good, I hope I've done a good job of being able to bring them to you in a way that won't be too confusing to you. And we're going to press forward. He's going to lay out the presupposition, the groundwork, the things that are true of every church that should move them to, motivate them to, give them every reason to comply with Paul's command. There is no reason, church. In fact, there's every reason not to not be united and be humble with one another. And instead, there's every reason to be those things, united and humble with one another. And so if you're not doing it, it's, it's, not, because, it's not because of truth. It's because of foolishness. It's because of sin. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you for your word. And Lord, just help us. Again, always help us. Help us to understand it rightly. And then once, we, once we're there, once we've got it, by your spirit, by your instruction, by your teachers uh, that you give to the church. Help us, Father, to come under it, um, to bring our will under it, and to do a really healthy job of examining our, our lives. If they're off in any way, if they don't measure up, then we need to do something. We need to change. We need to change. Father, ultimately, help us Expose in our lives where our life is not worthy of the gospel of Christ. It's just not. Expose that to us, Father. Reveal it to us, I should say. Reveal it to us, Lord, through your Spirit. And may when that revelation comes, we not look the other way. Or try to put it off or ignore it. Like an email you don't want to respond to. Just throw it in the junk basket. No, Father. May when that revelation comes by your Spirit, where we are not living the worthy life, worthy of Christ, worthy of all that is true of the gospel. Father, may, we not, may that be our entire focus until real biblical change occurs. All for your glory, God. All for your glory, God. In Christ's name, amen.